Seeking the Lord's blessing, we may turn again to that chapter that we read, that well-known chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we can read that passage that is uh, referring to coming to the Lord's table and partaking. We can read from uh, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup which he had, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, and so on. Now, I would not wish to impinge on coming communion services and the traditional services of the communion time. but. Uh, I think it would be, and it is good for us as we approach our communion time, to remind ourselves, and we always, always need reminding of what is involved in the Lord's Supper. It is good for us to have communion seasons, but is it not true at times that they may come and go and we have not made the best use of them? And the Lord has left them for us for a particular purpose. So it is good to think about it, to consider it, and what's involved in these holy matters. Now, while no doubt, all of us here, uh, whether we have ever sat at the table before or not, know about the Lord's table in general terms. Even the youngest here will have been taught about what it means to sit at the Lord's table. Nevertheless, any who do expect to sit at the table, for such it is spiritually profitable for us to examine ourselves every time, not just a one-off situation but every time we come to examine ourselves, but also to examine and to give thought to what the table represents. Now, maybe you're here today and there was a time when you who have partaken maybe on many occasions and for many years gave more consideration to it than you do this time in your own experience. Now, while feelings are important in these holy matters, how we feel is only a small part of enjoying or, should I say, benefiting from sitting at the Lord's table. 
It can be that the case that our hearts are warm there towards Christ on some occasions more than others. And I'm sure that is the experience of all God's people. But sometimes, friends, even when our emotions are not moved, we can still benefit from partaking at the Lord's table. It's not all about feeling. If you can just say, despite all that you feel you are, if you can say, despite all that you're aware of in your own life today, despite your struggle, maybe with coldness, with sin, with apathy, with love for Christ even, if you can say, well, I know all that is so, but this is where I know I ought to be, especially because my Savior asks me, do this in remembrance of me. And if you are like that, well, you should look forward to sitting at the table, whether you've done it a hundred times before, or maybe this may be the first time if you do come. So then let us consider a little bit then about some of the basic things, the purpose, first of all, the purpose of the Lord's Supper being instituted. Well, it's summed up, as it not, in these words, do this in remembrance of me. Now, those the Lord here was addressing had just taken part in another remembrance. You remember how they had, they had the Passover, we are told uh, in more detail in some of the Gospels, how they were meeting for the Passover, and then the, the, the Lord changed it at the end of the Passover, probably, or part of it at least. He himself did this as well, partook with them, and then brought in this new thing for them. And remembering, of course, at the Passover, remembering as they always did every year, their deliverance from Egypt. That's what the Passover, as you know, was all about. But now here, Jesus is telling them they are to remember from now another deliverance. It wasn't any longer the deliverance from Egypt. That wasn't forgotten. In many ways, there was typology in that, of course. But now there is another deliverance, not from the land of Egypt, not from one place to another, but now a deliverance for what? They are to remember from the power and penalty of sin. And that's what's included and must be included in thinking about the Lord's Supper. But if I can say that it's even, there's something here even more important than even remembering we have been delivered from the power and penalty of sin. It is to remember the one who has done it for us. Do this in remembrance of me. There is the focus. That's how we should come to the table. It is remembering him. Oh, we come because we have been delivered. We come because we have the power of sin has been broken in our lives. The penalty, at least particularly, what we should have gone, been cast away into a lost eternity. That has gone if we believe. But we must never forget. Thankful for that. But remembering who has done this for me. He asked, do this in remembrance of me. You know, friends, have you ever thought, I'm sure you have, the solemnity of the thought, 
of being humbled at the thought that the Lord Jesus saw that we would need to remember him. Can you believe that at times? We needed to be reminded. Maybe there was a time in your own experience when you first came to know the Lord, the life that was there, your heart burning within you. Every moment, practically of every day, even when you woke in the night, thoughts about Christ. Maybe when you sat at the table the first time, might not have been all as you would expect, but you were there in obedience. And the Lord now says, ah, that may, but you need to remember. And I'm leaving you the supper for that, to remember me, to remind us what was still to come in his being crucified to become his people's sacrifice, followed by his three days under the power of death and his ultimate glorification. That would deal, friends, we remember, that's what was dealing with our estrangement from God. And having a remembrance like this, like the Lord's Supper, would not, in one sense at least, having that remembrance is not necessary as far as the redeeming of the people of God is concerned. You see, the supper is not about redemptive work. But what we hear is not just a tying in of the types of the Old Testament with the Passover to the Lord's table, uh, to what was to come. It was about what was to come in the giving of himself. That was what that, the Old Testament, the Passover and all the rest spoke of. But here you see, more than that, there is this act of hers and what's behind it, love for his people. Seeing your need, realizing that you needed to be, as it were, reminded. Oh, you see, I never forget what Christ has done for me. Well, I would hope not if we are the Lord's. But in another sense, are there not times when you don't remember as you should? That is not to the forefront of your mind as it should. And this is what he is doing here. Love for his people. By Christ, his people, they are doing this for them. And what is, why does he do it as well? Uh, because he knows our frame. And he knows what we're like. And he knows our need of being, as it were, reminded of such things. And this was all done with a tender care for his beloved people, for each and every one of them. That's what he had in view. You see, this, as we said, the Lord's table doesn't add anything to his redemptive work in and of itself. But what we have here is a different thing, remembering Yes, remembering his redemptive work. And he needs that we need to be reminded of it because he knows our feelings and he knows our hearts and he knows how easily and quickly we can forget even him, particularly what he has done. So here, even at the hour, before the, the great hour of his agonizing crucifixion, what is he doing? He is thinking of his people. He has you in mind, Christian, as he is facing all that. And yet here is what was before him. His thoughts were on you. He knew what you would need. 
And so we have the Lord's Supper instituted. So here was in the Supper everything. It is, as Professor John Murray put it, the seal of forgiveness, as we remember. The seal of forgiveness. And that is what we are. We are partaking because we believe that we have been forgiven. And he left that with it. And as we partake of the bread and the wine, we should have Christ before us. Shall before us in our minds, if you like, by faith, in our hearts, by conviction, and as we take it in our hands in obedience, in partaking at the table. And how to, who can do this? Oh, well, those who know the forgiveness of sin. And as we partake at the table, friends, remember this also. As we are partaking, let us be mindful of Christ. Oh, yes. But also mindful of each other. You see, that is important as well, because those who are partaking with us are part of the body of Christ, and we are part of the body of Christ. And if we're truly in communion with the Lord, we're in communion with those around us who are the Lord's people. What is he doing here? Who is he speaking to? Not to an individual. He's addressing all the disciples. Drink ye, as we have it in Matthew, drink ye all of it. This wasn't just for John and for Peter and James. It was for them all. And as an individual, we are to come to the table. We are there because of what we have come to know of him as our personal savior. And yet we are there together as a body of Christ. Not on our own. Not here. There's nothing here of the idea of going to individual homes, to, but corporately partaking together. That's the picture we have time and time again in Scripture when this is mentioned. And so the bread and the wine is divided among a group, that is, the disciples, and that's what we do. It is the same for us, is it not? We share with those beside us. We share with on the left or the right or whatever. We're all together in it. It is about this corporate worship of God, remembering him together. You're not just sitting there. Yes, in one sense, you are remember what he's done for you particularly. But at the same time, you remember all that you're part of this body. It is there for us. And we are to it till when? Till he come. Till the end of the world. End of time. As our confession of faith puts it, it is there for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. There it is. The perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. That's first and foremost what it's all about for us. Why we left it for us. He has given it to us for remembrance and therefore surely also, if that is so, to encourage each other in the Lord. It is there for spiritual encouragement. We benefit from what he has left us. We benefit from Christ himself through our vital union with him, of course, and particularly at the table of the Lord. Again, quote in the Confession of Faith, it expresses the bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of the mystical body. <coughs> It expresses the bond and pledge of the communion with him 
and with each other as members of his mystical body. And so, friends, when we come to the table, the Lord saw our need to have it, to remember him, but surely also to remember his body at the same time. Oh, friends, may we then never come thoughtlessly to the table of the Lord. It wasn't a thoughtless action on his part when he left it with us. He knew what he was doing. And so the purpose of the Lord's Supper being understood. But then secondly, what about then the elements that are used at the table? Now at the outset, we must stress that what they were partaking of is to, to, to do was in no way, wasn't see it as a, as a sacrifice. It is not a sacrificing in any way whatsoever. This wasn't his sacrifice either as such. There was one sacrifice at one time, and because of the infinite worth and perfection of that sacrifice, there was no need for any other. And there was no need to repeat it either. What we are doing using the bread and the wine as symbolic is remembering. Remembering. These things are brought before us for that purpose. He has left it for us for that purpose. Now, as to what kind of bread and wine, this, friends, as you well know, has caused controversy down through the ages. But what was used here, whatever else, we know that it was a continuation of what they had partaken of at the Passover. It wasn't that they brought in new bread and new wine in that sense, something different. We read in Matthew as they were as they were eating, and then he took bread and blessed, as they were with the, with the Passover, and then he took bread and the wine, and he blessed such then. That changed at that time. Now, the bread they used was what they had in the Passover, which would have been unleavened bread. That's always what they had, unleavened bread in the Passover. And also fermented wine which was the ordinary wine drunk. It's not about getting drunk, as we've seen, but it was just the ordinary wine drunk. So it was unleavened bread and ordinary wine, if you like, the ordinary things that they would use in every day. So not anything out of the ordinary, although he set it apart, of course, as we do ourselves at the table, set about consecrated for holy use. His now use of the bread and the wine which had before been used part of the Passover, is now used in a different way, with a different meaning. Now, many people don't seem to have any issue with the kind of bread used. But the kind of wine used has caused much debate. I'm not sure why, but that's what it is. But people say, well, the Lord wouldn't have used wine that would have got anybody drunk. Well. That is not so. The wine that was used was fermented wine. If you look, for example, in verse um, 21. For in eating, everyone takes before after his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. And the clue, I think, is in that, that clue about drunken, what it speaks about there, drunken. What is there, obviously, is that 
those who are bearing, that's those he is condemning later on and, and the whole passage there, as you know very well, was the wine that they were using was obviously fermented wine. But it was about the misuse of it. So we should have as much as we can according to what we have before us in the word of God. And so while unleavened bread may not be so common for us, surely fermented wine certainly is. So here we have uh, the a choice, surely, that we should follow as much as we could. But that's another issue. But just to mention that about wine, not it's not sort of the, the necessarily the, the, the idea of a grape juice or a ribena type of thing or whatever that is used sometimes. Um, it's whatever else. I'm not saying, I'm not condemning that at all, what people use in certain cases, but they mustn't think that it wasn't fermented wine that the Lord used. But you see, friends, also in this, in the bread and the wine, this is not just talking of when he's saying to, to take and to eat and to drink. This is not just a physical eating and drink the Lord Jesus has first and foremost in mind. But it is as as uh, uh, Berkhoff puts it, it is for them to have a spiritual appropriation of his body by faith. That's what it's about. It's understanding by faith. This is about a spiritual appropriation of his body. This is what they're doing when they're partaking. Yes, physical bread and wine, obvious everyday things, but there's a spiritual aspect to it they are not to forget. The bread is broken, and the cup is a cup shared and passed around, obviously. Again, something else interesting here, isn't it, that the bread broken is symbolic of the body of Jesus. We are told that. But, and for yourselves, maybe to think about, we are, not, we are told elsewhere not a bone of his body was broken. Now, so this obviously, whatever else must be due with the wounding and bruising, I would take it, to do with the wounding and bruising, the thorns, the nails, the whipping, and the spear, and so on, the body broken in that way. But that is just by the way. Now, your own heart is important. And your own heart determines what you receive in and from the sacrament every time you sit at the Lord's table. It is about yourself. Now, again, there is much debate about uh, verse 27. Whatever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. There speaks about inappropriate partaking. It's not to say that all the people here, though they were misused, yet were not, some of them were not Christians. We're not sure about that. Some may not have been, some may well have been, but it's an appropriate partaking. And the idea of unworthily is the idea without reverence, coming and without reverence at the Lord's table. And you know, friends, the sad thing is that the best of us here as Christians, whoever, we can come in at times without the reverence that we should to the Lord's table. And I'm sure you know that in your own heart, not coming in the right spirit, not giving little thought to it. You see, this is not about our worthiness, but it's about the manner 
we partake. And that is very important for us. But again, may I say to you here today, you may be a fearful, timid Christian. This is not against the timid and doubting Christian as you tremble at taking up the bread and the wine, these symbols. But it's about coming in a carnal way. It's about coming in a profane way. Again, possibly in reference to verses 20, 22, and so on. You see, what is before you on the table is to signify and seal the benefits of his sacrifice for you, his beloved people. And so the whole thing here is something that he has deliberately set out. It is not just a chance happening, but these things speak and should speak loudly and clearly to us if we are believers. To show us, indeed, there's a reason for everything that is used and why it is used. So then, friends, the purpose of the Lord's Supper being instituted, the elements used, and then finally, that takes us to who then are to partake. Well, we've mentioned maybe in the passing already, but look at that in more detail. Who then are to partake? Well, only those who trust in Christ, believing he has died for your sins. That really sums it up, friends. Now we read here in verse 28, let a man examine himself. Of course, we should examine ourselves. But then don't forget, and this is so often people say, let a man examine himself, the rest of the verse, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. Let a man examine himself, and then, having prepared as you can, you are then to partake at the table. The purpose of examination is so then you can come and eat and drink. But oh, some say, oh, but while I do believe the Lord has saved me, and when I do exam, but when I do examine myself, I am so full of sin still, I cannot see how I am worthy of sitting at the table. Well, let me say this to you, my friend. Every person who has ever sat at the Lord's table is still full of sin. Still sinners. Yes, sinners saved sinners. And if it were about sinlessness, no one would ever sit at the Lord's table. It's not about sinlessness. Dear friend, whatever Satan whispers in your ear, and I know that he can be very busy before a communion time and even during it. Remember this, being in a state of grace, with saving faith in Christ, of course, that's what that, being in a state of grace does not mean no more sin. That, my dear friend, has to wait until you're in a state of glory. And sin will still hound you. And sin will still, you'll find, brings you down and has you ashamed at times. But that's part of the way it is. Forgiven, knowing our sins are forgiven. You see, our admission to the Lord's table, it's not based on our sinlessness. We thank the Lord for that. It's based on our exercising faith, having come to love the Lord. To love the Lord. 
And we believe that the table of the Lord is for all and any who love the Lord and who are seeking to live according to his word. Now, we speak about the table having an open table. And so it is an open table. But that does not mean for anyone and everyone. That's not what an open table means. There is always a restriction and should always be a restriction. Admission to the table of the Lord is based on what? It is based on a person's credible faith. It's not dependent upon your depth of theological understanding. It's not dependent on what denomination you even belong to. It's about this. Do you love the Lord? Do you believe that he died for your sins? Do you believe your sins are forgiven, having been nailed to the cross in Christ Jesus? Well, if you say, even hesitatingly, you say, yes, I believe. Oh, my friend, what else should you do then but be obedient to his command and with thankfulness do this in remembrance of him? It is your duty, yes, but oh, what a privilege. What a privilege if you are here today, whether you ever sat at the table before or not. You are here today, despite all that you are, and you know whatever else I cannot deny, but that the Lord has loved me, and so I love the Lord for it. Your place should be at the table. You see, friends, however often you or I have sat at the table, or maybe not as yet been willing to do so, what qualifies you for God's grace to do so is nothing but grace itself. That's the root of it all. Now, let me be clear. Again, the Lord's table is not normally a means of grace to those who have no grace. It's not a means of grace to those who have no grace. So the Lord's table is not, normally speaking, a converting ordinance in itself. Now, that is not to say that somebody could come to the Lord's table. God is able to use many things without being a Christian and through being at the table, come to know the Lord. But that is, not, that is the exception. If you are. We don't know how the Lord could do that. Of course you can, but that's not the way we should view it. No one should come to the Lord's table to become a Christian. You come to the Lord's table because you're already a Christian. Yes, an unconverted person may well come and sit and receive the bread and the, sim and the wine, the symbols. But you see, they may take it in their mouth without at all having it in their hearts, what is signified by them. There is a great difference. You see, friends, there can be no spiritual benefit in partaking without the grace of God in your heart. But if you have the grace of God, and if the Lord has transformed and changed you and brought you a saving knowledge of himself, dear friend, where would you be and where should you be? But sitting with, as it were, the disciples, with the Lord's people, remembering him. Somebody has said, Judas may have eaten the bread with the Lord, but he didn't eat the Lord with the bread. There's a difference. Sitting at the Lord's table is not what makes us Christians. 
as I said, we come to the Lord's table if and because we have come to faith that we are Christians. Well then, friends, as we conclude, believer here today, whether you previously sat at the table or not, are you thinking, then, oh, but I am not worthy? Well, let me say to you, I absolutely 100% agree with you. You are not worthy. You are not worthy. But then no one else who has ever sat there and partaken at the table. Oh, friends, it's nothing to do with our worthiness. No one has ever sat, truly sat and partaken because of their worthiness. And if you true feel truly unfit today, but if you have nevertheless repented of your sin and in faith and humility are casting yourself upon the mercy of God, I say this to you, my friends, I say this to you, don't grieve the spirit by staying away from the table. You have nothing you can do to add, of course, to your salvation. But there is if I can say, accept obedience to your Savior. This do in remembrance of me. And if you have come and the Lord has transformed your life, why, oh why, would you not be obedient to him and remember his death till he come? Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God, what shall we render to thee for all thy gifts to us? May we never see it as a little thing to take that step in faith, to stand on the Lord's side. May we realize the cost of our salvation. And while if it be our privilege and honor to sit with brothers and sisters in Christ at the Lord, table of the Lord, whether for the first time or for many times of having done so. May we have our eyes fixed on what he has done for us, not so much on ourselves. Lord, bless thy people. Bless us with thy presence. Make thyself known by thy spirit at work and accept us. For Christ's sake we ask it. Amen. <laughs>